Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. For April, we're using this book of Seth Adam Smith's called Your Life Isn't For You. And the idea of it is, uh, well, actually it raises the question to begin with, are we selfish or are we selfless? And so the idea of, you know, that kind of represents a bit of a scale. And we're going to be challenged this month to see where on that scale exactly we are. Uh, I think I want to start with a, a brief quote from the beginning of the book here. This is from the introduction. He says, now, I probably should pause right now and define what being selfless means. Because it's probably conjuring up images of building orphanages, donating all your money and possessions to charity, and performing humanitarian efforts under extreme circumstances. But that's not really what being selfless is, not exactly anyway. While those things can certainly be selfless actions, they're just actions. Actions and behaviors can be mimicked or faked for selfish purposes. A person can travel to another country and do her humanitarian work just for a photo op, while others can perform life-saving services for money, connections, or other ulterior motives. So honest selflessness is much deeper than just actions. It's a condition of our heart. Being selfless is about opening yourself up to others and learning how to receive life from them. It's also about giving your own true self to others selflessly. True selflessness is perhaps one of the most paradoxical things in nature. You don't lose yourself being selfless. You actually find yourself. You don't lose everything for being selfless. Quite the opposite. Your life isn't diminished. It expands. And so this month we're going to talk about this idea of being selfless. And I think one place we might start is kind of the opposite. And you know me, I managed to find a selfish joke. So we'll, uh, we'll see if this is a stinker or if you like it. So three contractors are touring the White House all on the same tour. They're chatting to the docent leading the tour. And at the end, the guide mentions, hey... You know, we need one of the rear fences here mended at the White House. Why don't you take a look at it and give me three bids? I'm sure we'd appreciate your help. Well, contractor number one took out a measuring tape and a pencil, did some measuring, and said, Well, I figure the job will run about $900. $400 for materials, $400 for my crew, and $100 profit for me. Well, next up, contractor number two also took out the tape measure and pencil, did some quick calculations, and said, You know... I think I can do the job for only $700. $300 for materials, $300 for my crew, and $100 of profit for me. Finally, the docent asked contractor number three for a bid. Without batting an eye, the contractor number three says, $2,700. Well, the docent's incredulous, looks over and said, you didn't even get out your measuring tape. How did you come up with such a high figure? Oh, it's easy, said contractor number three. A thousand's for you. A thousands for me, and then we used the contractor that had the low bid. <laughs> All right, so uh, I think, as scary as that little story is, 
It reminds us of what we're commonly thinking of being selfish, that idea of always putting yourself first, even when it's at the expense of other people. But you know what? I don't actually know people, or very few people, who would approach selfishness that way. And so I also want to look at the uh, definition that Self Adam Smith has in his book. He says that being selfless is opening yourself up to others and learning how to give and receive life from each other. So it isn't really about um, so much the actions as it is the willingness. Now certainly we're not going to try to swindle one another, but according to his plan, anytime we really withhold ourselves, anytime we become a barrier to being with other people, enjoying other people, living life as a, as a community, then we are still being selfish. We're withholding ourselves, we're withholding our connection, we're withholding our ability to be with and to do for one another. And that, he says, is still selfish. Now the book opens with a run, it's, it's quite a sweet book, it's one of those books you can actually read in about an hour. And in it, a book within the book, he tells of a story that his father read him when he was, uh, when he was a boy called The Selfish Giant. And so I want to relate at least part of this story to you today. So the idea of The Selfish Giant is, uh, um, there's this giant enjoying his garden particularly. So he has beautiful spring flowers, well-tended uh, lawns, you know, beautiful shrubs. And of course, because it's so lovely, the neighborhood children love playing there. It's verdant grass, pretty flowers. It's one of those ideal places you might want to have a picnic. And uh, for many years, the giant, that was fine. It was great. It was a community resource, if you will. And in particular, the children in the neighborhood love playing there. Well... <clears throat> as children sometimes are, <laughs> one particular day the children had made a mess of his yard. They'd picked some of his flowers, they had uh, dug up some of the grass in their games, I think a baseball went haywire and knocked over a, a pot or two of plants, and in general kind of made a mess as life, as kids, as people, oftentimes not intending to, not wanting to, we make a mess. And so the giant decided he would build a wall around his house, literally out of stone. And he lived there happily for many years. More solitary, certainly. More to himself, certainly. But is there any harm in having your life the way you want it? Is there any harm in having your yard just for you? Is there a harm or a selfish motivation here that he would want to not have his plants molested or his lawn dug up or, or baseballs uh, going through the yard, right? Probably most of us live in neighborhoods and we probably have fences too. In fact, the fence between my yard and my backyard na neighbors are even called good neighbor fences as though a fence somehow was the signifier of how neighbors are good to each other, right? So is that really being selfish? You can see I'm pausing here in the story for a moment. Well, think about that one, because certainly the giant wasn't doing evil things to the children, right? It's not like he was swindling them out of their lunch money. It's not like he was being selfish in the way that my, uh, my sad contractor joke was, right? All right, so let's put that on pause for a moment. 
Back to the story. So after many years, the giant enjoying his garden, uh, unmolested, exactly the way he had planned it, um, everything exactly in his place, he woke up one morning and heard the most incredible music. And it was one of those kinds of situations where he just sat on the end of the bed, almost mesmerized by the beautiful music coming in through the window of, of his little house. Well, big house, he's a giant, that's right. <laughs> so he's sitting there and at first, you know, as you wake up, you're not always completely aware of what's going on. He was thinking, well, is it bird song? Is it, uh, is it someone in the town square that has a band? This is just delightful. And he, he felt himself actually growing younger in a way. Just from enjoying that music, it's as though a burden was lifted off of his shoulders for a bit. And he sat there thinking, oh my gosh, I need to find out what this is. This is truly enlivening. It's like, a, it's like an IV of life for him. And so he got up and looked out the window and it was children singing in his yard. And he looked, and sure enough, the harsh winter that they had 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 dislodged some of the, the bricks and the stones and the fence that he had built. And the children had creeped through it and were once again playing and singing in his yard. The giant woke up, heart melted, and tore the wall down. So that's the story that's told within the book. And it also had a, a kind of a sub-meeting for the child, the author, and his father who was reading the book to him. When it got to the point where the father uh, read the part about tearing the wall down, he started crying. And so, so um, Seth asked him, well, Daddy, why are you crying? And he said, well, I was in Germany when another wall was torn down. And he said, you know, when human beings build a wall around ourselves, even when it's with good intentions, even though we think we're not doing any harm, it's still an act of selfishness. Well, the idea of melting our heart is where I want to spend a little bit of time today. Because we can't always, uh, well, first of all, I don't think we should be walled up in our castle for, for 10 years in order to have an awakening, in order to, to be able to participate more fully in life and to be able to invite other people in it. I wouldn't want that for anyone. And also, what I need to tell you about the book is the, the author is a, is a survivor of a suicide attempt. He was writing the book partially to get over the depression and the, the terrible state of mind he was in when he tried to take his own life. And so this story, what he found in it was he, like the giant, had built a wall around himself. He wanted complete control over what his life would be like. He didn't want the messiness of other people in it. He walled himself up with the idea of being safe and secure and in control. But of course, much like the selfish giant, he was walling him off, walling himself off from life from the good stuff. Sure, it was predictable. Sure, he was in control of it. Sure, he didn't have to worry about upsetting anyone's feelings or doing the wrong thing or not being predictable. He didn't have to worry about anything because his world was just about as small <coughs> as it could get. So the idea of selfishness in this book doesn't have to do with swindling or, or issues of money. It has to do with opening our hearts, melting our hearts, if you will, 
to be able to experience more of life by giving more to life, by being more open to life, by being more participative in life. And you might be asking me, so what are some of the ways then that we can begin melting our own hearts if we've put up that wall a little bit, if our good neighbor fences are just keeping us apart instead of making us good neighbors, what can we do about it? Well, I have some ideas and we'll be talking about them over the next couple weeks. But one idea struck me just this last week. I had the opportunity to go to a Passover Seder actually with my friend Barbara who's here today. And you can bug us with questions about that later if you want. And uh, uh, Rabbi Rose that was uh, presenting that day, uh, well, many of you probably have, are familiar with some of the Jewish traditions. And one of the things that Jews love to do, and, it, and, and it's fun, is, is that many of their observances, they will tell a story, the story of the Jewish people. And of course, whether you're Jewish or Christian or Muslim, you know the, the Passover story, right? That's Moses leading the slaves, the, the Jews, out, out of bondage. And, and into the, uh, their wandering in the desert before they found their promised land. And so the idea of the, the plagues that were visited upon Pharaoh and all of that, you know, uh, Rabbi Rose was doing a good job of that. And then he did, a, I think, an extraordinary thing. Now, I haven't been to, I don't think I've been to more than two Passover seders. So maybe this happens all the time. Barbara, I'll, I'll, I'll ask your wisdom on this later. But he did, I think, a really powerful and unusual thing, for me anyway, he said, where have you been enslaved? He said, this isn't just a story of some people from several thousand years ago. Everyone, everyone in this room, and he looked around, there were about 250 of us. Everyone in this room has been enslaved at some time to something or to some cause. Some place where you didn't feel welcome, but you were stuck there. Some job that was terrible, but you were stuck there. A relationship that, that was difficult and you felt um, shackled to it. There may have been times in all of our lives when something simply wasn't the way it should be in any rightful and justice kind of world and you had to endure it. He said, I want you to remember that time and then I want you to remember coming out of it. That was what happened to these people 2,000 years ago. Now that would have been powerful enough because that idea of putting ourselves in the role of something like that helps us to see where we have been and where we can come through. That where really is that inner strength in that and that strength also as a community that allows us to move through times of trouble. And because it is a, a group phenomenon, because it is a story of a people, it shows us how when we band together as a people, and, and it doesn't have to be based on faith at all, it can be quite an eclectic um, gathering of people, that a gathering of people can persist can overcome whatever odds are necessary and that as individuals that's one thing and that when we pool our resources and work together we can accomplish even more. But Rabbi Rose didn't end it there and really this next little bit is where my heart melted. He also took a good look at us and said, you know the plagues aren't over, right? And of course we were reminded, well I was reminded in my own silly way of that uh, Charlton Heston movie where all of the, the plagues are, uh, are brought down upon the people of Egypt, right? There was the plague of locusts and blood that tainted the water and oh my gosh. It's, I think I first saw that movie when I was a kid and I think the plagues terrified me. I have this memory of like crawling into mom's lap and saying, no! <laughs> and so Rabbi Rose reminded us of that and he said that the plagues are still here. 
We just have different names for them. Today it's homelessness. Today it's uh, being disenfranchised. It's racism. Today the plague is economic and, and social. Today the um, violence against women in the world, right? We can easily come up with probably more than nine plagues that are existing in the world. And he looked and he said, well, all right, so Moses led his people away from this. And in fact, the plagues were part of their liberation. Now, what are you going to do about the plagues in existence today? He looked us right in the eye. It was a little uncomfortable. Was it uncomfortable for you? No, Barbara's, no, I'm already working on this. Yeah, all right. It was uncomfortable for me because what he was really asking was, what he was really saying was, if we are to get through this world with a measure of joy and peace and happiness for all, we got to take these on. It's not okay for us to wall ourselves up in our privacy fencing and say, you know, all I can do is just make my own house safe. And that's where it ends. That's what the selfish giant did. And it's not selfish in the sense that we're used to thinking about it. It's not swindling other people like the contractors. But when we build a fence and we say, all I'm going to do is make my own family safe and happy, we are still being selfish. And so I'm going to assign a bit of homework, much as Rabbi Rose did. And I'd like you to close your eyes for just a moment. And think of an area in the world that needs some intentions. Think of a place and a time and a cause in the world right now where some extra help could be used. Now the answer will be different from every person here. It could be women's issues right here in America. It could be a war that's burgeoning in the Middle East. It could be um, homelessness right here in the Portland metro area. It could be the fact that food is not evenly distributed in the world. I'd like you to think of something that seems obvious to you right now. Something that's gone a little haywire with the world where people aren't being compassionate enough where people are not extending their hand well enough. And I'd like you for a moment just to feel what it must feel like to be one of those people being visited by one of those plagues. So imagine that you yourself are affected by racism. Imagine that you yourself perhaps have been looked over for a promotion because you are female and for no other good reason. Imagine maybe that you don't have enough food for your family or that the city you live in is being deconstructed by war. For just a moment, imagine yourself personally affected by one of today's plagues. And know that you are powerful. Know that you and people like you people for whom we know we can band together and do something about it. Feel your heart melt for just a moment, recognizing the power that you and people who believe as you do can bring about any kind of change, any kind of powerful change that you wish to have. And then much as Rabbi Rose ended this segment of the Seder, he asked, what are you going to do about it? so you can open your eyes. And that's your homework for this week. You know I like to assign a bit of homework now and then. 
<clears throat> or had you gotten used to me being gone a few weeks? <laughs> Aha, well, he's back. <laughs> and the homework will not end. So what can we do about it? Just pick an area where you think the world can use some attention and step out of your castle Step out of the walls that you have built with the idea of keeping your own family safe, that's good. But the more you build barriers towards other people being in your environment, the more you separate yourselves out from your fellows, the more isolated you become, the harder your heart becomes, the smaller the world becomes. As we open our heart, as we allow it to melt, as we begin participating with other people for the benefit of this, this amazing world that we live in, suddenly the whole world becomes ours. Do you see how by devoting a little time and, and treasure and a little of our effort, we don't lose anything, we gain the world. We gain the awareness and the, and the love and the joy that comes with all those people participating. It isn't about giving away, it's about giving in, and ultimately about receiving. So one of the sneaky things about this book that I also <laughs> am kind of enjoying, and I think we're going to have some fun for the rest of this month is, he really asked the question, well, is being selfless actually being selfish? Because as we learn to give, as we learn to be in service, as we learn to open our hearts and be with other people, that's the selflessness, right? But oh my gosh, who's it enriching? Yeah, yeah. Suddenly we're all three contractors at once. <laughs> So I ask you, take a look at your homework. Uh, just take a few moments, maybe in the silence later today, to think about an area where you would like to step up, throw down the walls of safety, the walls of someness, and invite the kids into play. Knowing that, yeah, probably some bad words will be said now and then. A daffodil may get pulled up when it shouldn't. There may be some messiness of being with our fellows. But, oh my gosh. The world is bright and beautiful and your participation in it is needful and glorious. I'm going to close today with a, a, a final quote from the, the chapter um, called The Melted Heart here. And this he wrote shortly after he, uh, he found himself in the hospital after his suicide attempt. He says, after I woke up in the hospital, I became the recipient of an outpouring of love from multiple sources, from parents, siblings, friends, and neighbors. The contrast of life was so unbelievably different than what I had been experiencing. It was like believing that the darkness of your darkest winter would never end, and then finding that music in spring. Well, in that light, I suddenly saw that the wall around my heart was exactly what it was. Like the selfish giant, I could finally realize I've walled myself in. In that moment, I became aware of a terrible, beautiful truth. I have the power to choose. I can choose the level of life and light that I'm willing to receive. I can choose my full participation in life. I had chosen to push people out. I had chosen to build a wall around my heart. 
And I had decided to build and live within those confines. And today, I also know that I can choose to tear it down. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence, one life and one goodness. There is only this thing that I call God. And what I know about God is it is the joy, it is the love, it is the sweetness of the universe itself. And without fail, it is present. On our darkest night, in our most troubled times, that love, that joy, that peace is still there. Like the sun shining behind the clouds, like that promise of a better day in the darkest winter, it's still there. And so for my own part on this day, I say the walls are down. For my own part on this day, I claim that participation, that full participation with life and my fellow beings to the greatest extent that I have. And I offer up that willingness for the people in this room likewise to participate. There is love for each person here. There is joy for each person here. That as we come together and hold this planet and hold the peoples of this planet with love and dignity and joy as we begin doing our small parts, the small parts add up. And the universe is emboldened. And so in gratitude, I just acknowledge this time in the presence and the power of God itself, that, that creator of all things, that source of all life. I give thanks for it. I give thanks in it. And I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law itself. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.